And now, a message from Pastor Josh Carmody. So we started a new sermon series last week uh, called 30-Second Theology. And uh, there may or may not be a graphic on the screen for that, hopefully, potentially. There it is. Oh, and look at me behind it. So 30-Second Theology. And uh, give it up for our sound booth crew back there. Those guys do a great job. When technology works, it's a wonderful thing. So 30-Second Theology. And uh, what we're doing this month, we thought it'd be fun, is we're taking just some commercials uh, that have a message, that have a meaning uh, behind them. And so uh, we are just playing some different commercials and talking about uh, the theme in that. Last week, Pastor Mike opened up and, and, and talked about how our lives should be tuned. You guys remember tuned? Uh, and that's trust, unity, new. And then E was empty ego and embrace excellence. And uh, so in this new year, uh, we trust in God that he will unite us, that he will create something new in our lives, that we would uh, embrace uh, excellence and empty ourselves of our ego. And so we talked about that uh, last week. And uh, this week, I want to take us in a little different direction. Last week, we talked, it was more of like a piano and a tune and more of a musical uh, theme. Uh, it's kind of a hard left turn uh, today from that. So uh, we're going to uh, we're gonna play this commercial. It's about a minute long. Uh, it was a couple years ago, actually. I was watching the Super Bowl, and this ad popped up. And I thought it was a great ad. So uh, let's check it out uh, this morning as we continue our 30-second theology series. Hi, Aaron. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Oh, my hair. <laughs> Show me what it looks like to fight like a girl. <laughs> now throw like a girl. Aw. So do you think you just insulted your sister? No. I mean, yeah, insulted girls, but not my sister. My name is Dakota, and I'm 10 years old. Show me what it looks like to run like a girl. Throw like a girl. Fight like a girl. What does it mean to you when I say run like a girl? It means run fast as you can. <laughs> uh, so like I said, hard left. Um, so I bet you didn't come to church today thinking you were going to be watching a commercial for feminine hygiene products. So I watched that uh, commercial a few years ago, and it hit me like that. I mean, it's all like serious, great message, and then always. I was just like, <laughs> you know, it's funniest Super Bowl commercial of all time, in my opinion. Um, and so, you know, you see that in this idea of when does like a girl become an insult, and when did that happen? And and talking to these girls at a young age, I mean, you saw them. They were, and maybe it's because I have a daughter at home, and I was thinking of my own daughter and how the world is going to try to tell her that she needs to act a certain way or she needs to be a certain something when she's been created by a God who loves her and has fearfully and wonderfully and marvelously created her and made her, and that God want God's truth to come out louder than the world's truth for her life. And so maybe it just has a like a personal tug at my heartstrings, all right? Um, but the, the end there, it, it said always, which we all laughed about, but I don't know if you caught the little cursive tag slogan there that said rewrite the rules. Rewrite 
the rules. And that got me thinking in this series is that uh, there's someone that comes to mind uh, that rewrote the rules. There's someone that comes to mind, and we're in church, so you know that the, the church answer is Jesus rewrote the rules, right? And we all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, you know, would not die, but have everlasting, have eternal life. But check out John 3.17. It's one we don't memorize as often, but it's every bit as good. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. You know what Jesus came to do? He came to flip the script. He came to rewrite the rules. He came to take the world and set it right side up again. The world tells us all the time what we should be and what this should look like, but God has created us for a reason, for a purpose. Jesus came and He rewrote the rules. The rules that this world lived by, He came and said there's new rules, there's better Rules During the Sermon on the Mount, you'll find it in Matthews chapter 5 and 6 and 7, and I don't remember how far it goes, but it's a few chapters in Matthew 5. And, uh, and, and you'll read in there about the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives. And six different times during this Sermon on the Mount, six different times uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 48, which is what we're going to be looking at today. It's a lot of Scripture. Um, and in fact, it's so much Scripture that Pastor Mike did a sermon series on this once a long time ago, and it took him six weeks. Um, I got 20 minutes, so uh, maybe 25. So uh, we're going to go through a fast. There's study guides out front for you to, to pick up and take home and to look at. Um, if you have one right now, you probably already know where I'm going with my message, and you can just leave. No, I'm just kidding. Don't leave. So uh, thank you for sticking around. But take one with you when you leave today and study this and read it in other translations and uh, dive into God's Word because we believe the Bible is important for our lives, for change to happen. So six times Jesus says this. He says, he, here's what he says. He says, you have heard it said. Something to the effect of, you have heard it said. Or here's what the law says. Or here's what people say. Or here's what's been taught to you. And then he says, but I say. He says, but this is what I'm saying. Here's my suggestion. Here's what I'm promoting. Here's what I'm saying is a better way. He's rewriting the rules. He's saying, you've heard it said this way. This is what the commandment was. But here's what I'm telling you. And so he did this. He rewrote the rules. He flipped the script. He came to make the world right again. And he said these six things. Um, and so I want us this morning to look at these six things. And like I said, pick up a study guide as you leave today and look through these in more in depth. But the first thing he said was this. Uh, you have heard it said, do not murder. But Jesus says this. Hold on, we haven't got, that's all right. You can keep scripture up there. We're just not there yet. He said, do not murder. That's what you've heard said. Jesus says, don't even be angry. Let's look at this scripture in Matthew chapter 5. It says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. Well, I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these manners, these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. 
then and only then come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you, li- if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. And if that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. All right? So Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, do not murder. How many of you would agree with me that that is an excellent commandment? Half of you. I worry about the rest of you. <laughs> do not murder. It, it's, a, it's a command that is a good thing. It's in, in the Ten Commandments, I believe it's number five or six, but do not murder. It's a commandment. It's a good thing to follow. Can I get an amen on that? And Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder. He says, but I tell you, don't even get angry with a brother or a sister. And don't call them an idiot, or you might say in some, in some translation, raka or fool. Don't call them names. Don't say bad things about other people. Because then he says the simple moral fact is that words kill. I have something to tell you. That old adage, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never harm me. It's a lie. Words can kill. Words have the power to edify and lift up, and words have the ability to tear down and destroy people's confidence, to destroy, to demoralize somebody. I mean, words have the power. He's saying, yeah, fine, don't kill someone. Don't take their life, this physical act. But he's also saying the things that you say and what goes on in your heart also matter. That those thoughts that you think towards others, those things that you say, that that's a heart issue, and that that can kill as well. It might not physically kill them, but it might kill their spirit, man. It might really bum them out. It might change. the. I know I've talked to people where someone has, something has been spoken over them at a young age and they believed it and bought into it and forever they live with this idea that they are less than what God had created them to be. Because words have power. And we think, wow, it's just something, I just said it, I didn't really mean it, but here's the problem with words. Once it's out there, you can't pull it back in. Once it's out there, it's out there. And the only thing you can do from that moment on is apologize, move on, and say, now I must prove to them that I didn't mean that. And he's saying, hey, if there's somebody that you have a grudge against or someone has a grudge against you, there's something that's not right, it's a heart issue, go to that person and restore that relationship. If somebody, an enemy, if someone comes up to you on the street and they are challenging you and they're aggressive, the Bible says it costs you. If they, they come up and they are just in your face, it says you better make the first move. And that first move is forgiveness. That first move is to put the fire out. It's a heart issue, not to spout off and make things worse because he said then you'll end up in jail or with a fight, right? You're going to start fighting. He's saying make things right. It's a heart issue. Don't just say whatever you want to say, but rein it in. Yeah, it's true. Do not murder. But Jesus says, don't even be angry. Man, that's tough. Don't call people idiots. I got to be honest with you. I was driving this week, and I'm pretty sure I called a couple people an idiot. (laughs) Alicia even said, she's like, I just don't even want to ride with you anymore. And I said, okay, I apologize. Convicted. Thank you very much, right? It's just not worth it. We don't need to to say those things. Where the words because then my kids are in the car. They told me before, Dad, we shouldn't say that. You're right. Thank you, eight-year-old. Appreciate it. <laughs> right? But they're they're speaking the truth to their dad who needs to hear it. So live at peace with others. Seek peace and forgiveness in your relationships. It's a matter of heart and conscience. Yeah, don't kill someone. Don't 
have that physical act, but at the same time, don't kill someone's spirit. Don't say things that demoralize and tear people down. So that's the first thing he says is, you've heard it said, do not murder, but Jesus says, don't even be angry. Here's the second one. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Jesus says this, don't entertain impure thoughts. Got quiet. Let's read some scripture. There's a couple of these, so embrace, embrace yourself, right? Or embrace yourself, whatever. <laughs> Matthew 5, <laughs> Matthew 5, 27 to 30, he says this. You know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another's spouse. But don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being being discarded than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. How poetic. Bloody stump or you'll end up in the dump. I thought that was pretty cool. Okay. So uh, Jesus uses some pretty colorful language in here in this message translation that we have of God's word. And we, we see this and he says, you know the next commandment pretty well. You've heard it said, don't go to bed with another spouse. How many of you agree with me? That's a great commandment. Don't go to bed with another spouse. But then he says this, don't think you've preserved your virtue by simply staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted even quicker. Your heart can be corrupted even quicker. Those little looks, those glances, those impure thoughts. Because here's the thing, it's a lot easier to have impure thoughts. That's much more common. That's much more natural. That's much simpler. That's something that happens much more often than an affair. Because you can entertain impure thoughts and nobody around you notices. Whereas sleeping with another person's wife, people tend to notice those things gets people's attention, right? So it is much easier to entertain impure thoughts. And so the, they were saying, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Don't sleep with another person's spouse. Jesus is saying, don't entertain impure thoughts. Your heart can be corrupted quicker than your body. Your heart can be, you notice how this stuff's all about our heart? I mean, yeah, it's about thing. you know, it like, before it was always about what we do to other people. Don't do this to someone else. Don't do this to someone else. Don't do this to someone else. Love God, you know, but, and that's when Jesus said, he said, love God and love others because all of these things center around our heart. Your heart can be corrupted quicker than your body. You've probably heard this before. Your thoughts lead to actions. Actions lead to habits. Habits lead to your character and your character produces your destiny. And so it starts, thanks. It starts with your heart. It starts in your thoughts. It's easier to entertain impure thoughts. And it begins with a thought. And the more of those you have, then you got to be careful because you might just act on them. Because thoughts produce actions. 
And that's why Jesus says this. And he says, I like this warning. He says, let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. This is hard work that takes intentional focus. I'm speaking from a men's perspective. But I know women struggle with this as well. But it has to be an intentional focus and thought that when those things come into your mind, those impure thoughts are there. Having those impure thoughts is not a sin, but entertaining them is. These impure thoughts lead to destruction. When Jesus says, cut off your arm, or he says, gouge out of your eye, he's saying, listen, this is serious stuff. If you don't take care of this now, it is going to lead to ruin. So what do we do? We get help. Take care of those impure thoughts before they ruin you. Talk with somebody. Hold yourself accountable. It is hard work that takes intentional focus. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be whole and healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You want to get over this stuff? Confess, pray, and you will be healed. Sounds like a good thing to me. So don't let those thoughts entertain because listen, you might think it's innocent, you might think it's easy, and it's, it's not a big deal, not really hurting anybody. Thoughts lead to actions. Thoughts lead to actions. Take care of it. Nip it in the bud. <laughs> Stop it. Number three. He says, you've heard it said, a man can divorce his wife for any reason. Jesus says sexual immorality is the cause for divorce. Matthew 5, 31 to 32. Remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress, unless she's already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure. This is good stuff. Jesus rewrote the rules. So the old law of the land, the command, it's if you get divorced that you can get divorced. The Old Testament said it's okay, it's a legal matter. You can file for divorce. Our nation, I don't know if you noticed, but it's totally legal to get a divorce. Jesus said, unless there is sexual immorality, sexual promiscuity, unless there is fornication, is the word you'll see a lot in the Bible, unless there's that, there's really no grounds for divorce. And I say all this, and I want you to know, as sure as I'm standing here, that there's people in this room that have had a divorce. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you and forgives you anyway. And he cares, just like all of us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is not a message that... that, that, that heaps on condemnation or makes you think that you're a bad person. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. And so in the scripture, it's saying it's okay. It's totally lawful. You can have a divorce. But this, this word for sexual immorality or sexual promiscuity, this fornication, it's the Greek word. It's, well, I kind of know how to say it, but I just know the English word that comes to mind. It's porneia, which we get the word pornography. Porn, porneia. Sexual promiscuity, sexual promiscuity and immorality is fornication it's where we get this word porn this sexual immorality this fornication it's entertaining an action or a thought or an emotion and it's wrong it's entertaining again back to those impure thoughts and you say well who does it hurt 
Who does it hurt? Who does, who does pornography hurt? Who does porneia hurt? What does sexual immorality hurt? What does sexual promiscuity hurt? What, is it, what does it matter? Well, I want you to know that it hurts you. The Bible says that when we can commit a, a sexual sin, it's a sin against our own body. It hurts us. It hurts your spouse because you don't value them as you should. You say, but I'm not even married. Fine. It still harms you and it harms your future spouse because you have unrealistic expectations. I remember when there was, when I was youth ministry years ago, there was someone, they said, man, I can't wait until I get married. They were like 18, 19. They were just out of high school. Been seeing a girl for a while. I just can't wait until I get married because then, then I won't have any problems with any of this sexual stuff anymore. Which all the married people laugh. It doesn't go away just because you put a ring on. It doesn't just magically poof. I will never have a bad thought again. And and part of it was like he was like because when I get married I get to have all the sex I want, right? It's like you poor young naive fella. The answer to that is no. So deal with it now. Take care of it now because it's just going to continue following you. Those impure thoughts, those impure actions, they don't just stop because you reach an age. They don't just stop because you get married. They don't just stop because of any reason other than the fact that you confess your sins and pray and then you're whole and healed. You got to embarrass that sin. Hold yourself accountable. Divorce is allowed when there's inappropriate sexual action, thoughts, emotions, affairs. And people always ask, well, what about abuse? Isn't that grounds for divorce? Here would I, is what I would say if you are being beaten or you're in a uh, relationship that is abusive in one way or another is first of all, get out of that situation. Remove yourself from that home. Find a counselor, find a pastor, and work on your marriage. Work on your marriage. And beyond that, we don't have time for it today, so seek guidance from your pastors. Seek guidance from a Christian counselor. I'm not saying under any circumstance do I condone abuse. If there's any abusive things happening, whether emotional or physical, violence, any of that stuff, you need to remove yourself from that situation and then work on that marriage and the root cause of why this is happening. Okay? All right, on to some other things. Here we go. Number four, you've heard it said, do not break your promises. Jesus says, simply say yes or no. Let's look at Matthew 5.33. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smoke screen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you, and never doing it, or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. So he says on here, don't say anything you don't mean. I, I think that's good advice. I think we all say things. I think we mean the things we say, don't we? I mean, how many of you ever, like, someone says, hey, will you pray for me? It's like, yes, of course, I'll pray for you. And you mean that. And from the bottom of your heart, you're like, I'm going to pray for that person. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever forgotten to pray for that person? So here's the thing. We mean well, but we don't actually do it sometimes. Like, we mean well. So yeah, I'll pray for you. And this is saying, listen, don't just mean something. Do it. 
If you say yes, then do it. If you say no, then don't do it. I've gotten to the point where it's like, if I'm going to pray, if I tell someone, hey, I'll pray for you, because I'm guilty of that. I've done that before. Where if I say, hey, I'll pray for you, I, when I'm done texting them or calling them or whatever has happened or in an email or whatever it is, I literally just take a few seconds and just say a prayer in case I forget later. Or I write it down so that when I do go back and it's time for my prayer time that I remember, oh yeah, I said I would pray for so-and-so. It's good to mean it. Like, it's a nice thing. Oh, you know, you, you be blessed. Have a blessed day. You know, and it's like, but is it just something we're saying or is it from the bottom of our hearts? And so if you say yes, do it. If you say you'll pray for someone, do it. If you say you'll be somewhere at a certain time to help with a certain thing, then be there and be early. Like, do it. Let your yes be yes and let your no be. Be no, I have news for you. Yes and no are complete sentences. That's what Jesus is saying. Is just let it be a yes or a no. I mean, at all time, you talk to people like, well, you know, hopefully, maybe, my, I mean, you know, Lord willing, I'll do, come on, give me a yes, give me a no. Give me a yes, give me a no. All right, will you help me move? Yes or no? Well, just yes or no. No. All right, fine. I'll find somebody else, Right? I mean, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Yes and no are complete sentences. Number five, you've heard it said, punishment must match the injury. But Jesus says this, live generously. This is a fun one. We're going to love this one. Matthew 5, 38. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap the best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You know, punishment must match the injury makes sense. If someone kills your dog, you would expect some money back to buy a new dog or them to buy you a new dog, wouldn't you? No? Okay, fine, let's try this. Someone wrecks your car. Totaled. Not drivable. Do you expect them to buy you or have fun so that you can get a new car? Better, right? So it makes sense. This tit for tat, this, you did this, I deserve this, give me what is mine, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. But Jesus says this, he says, hey, how about we live gener generously? If someone, if someone smacks you on the cheek, why don't you just turn the other one and say you've missed a spot? I know it's not easy, but that's what, that's what it's saying. Or if someone takes you to court and sues you, it's not a fun experience. Gift wrap your best coat for them too, like give them a thank you note. Appreciate the opportunity. I mean, come on. Or, or this last one, this is the one that's getting me right now in my life. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. I'd like to pass on that one. <laughs> Can't I uh, use this occasion to give that person a piece of my mind? Because that seems like a better use of my time. Can't I use the occasion to make life just a little more difficult for them? I mean, sounds fun right? Can't I use the occasion to pray that God would smite them? <laughs> okay, fine. I'm the only one that prays like that. But here's the thing. It doesn't look like it because he says this. Thank you, Jesus. He says this. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice 
the servant life. And then he has to go on and say, live generously. So I'm learning how to be a servant. I'm learning how to live generously. I'm not learning how to be a doormat and just letting people walk all over me, but I'm learning that I don't need to get even. I'm learning that it's okay if I sacrifice what I want because God wants something better for me. It's okay that I can be humbled and be a servant, and even though I don't really like what's going on, I say, God, I trust in you. Remember, Pastor Mike, trust in you this year. And so I give this to you, and I will work on being a servant. So don't get even. Don't be a doormat. But getting even should not be the goal. Live your life generously. And the last one, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. And then he said the unwritten part that goes with that, hate your enemy. But Jesus says, love everyone. Look at Matthew 5.43. It says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. You guys, you guys catch that? Okay, it just got quiet. I don't know. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you. Not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with energies of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives His best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone. You thought about that? He gives the sun and the rain and the warmth. He gives all of that to everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Man, that's a fun chunk of Scripture. I like that one. I'm going to be studying more of that one this week. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the, that's the command. Love your enemy, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By definition, it's pretty easy to love and like the people who love and like you and to hate the people that you just don't really like. I mean, that's by nature, that's pretty simple. But Jesus says, kind of rewrote the script a little bit, rewrote the rules. He says, how about instead we love everybody okay let and then he says this i like this let your enemies bring the best out of you so wait a minute not only are people that i don't like or people that don't like me like they're supposed to bring the best out of me how does that happen well he says with energies of prayer by living out of your god created self by taking the time to pray for your enemies and to love them despite what's going on. He said, then you're living and operating out of your true identity, who God created you to be. We should give our best to others because that's what God does. Like that scripture said, he gives the sun to everybody. He gives rain to everybody, right? Regardless of good, bad, nice, or nasty, he gives it to everybody. 
We should be the same way. We should give our best to everybody, regardless of whether they'll pay us back, regardless of whether or not they like us, regardless of whether or not we want to. We should just simply live generously because that's how God lives towards us. And here's, here's what Jesus is wanting to say to you right now if you have hate in your heart towards somebody else. And these are Jesus' words, not mine. Grow up. Comes better. Jesus is saying it, not me. Grow up. You're not a subject of this world, but of the kingdom of God. So you don't belong to this world. You belong to the kingdom of God. So grow up, move past these differences, and live like you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Live out your God-created identities. Rewrite the rules. Listen, don't let the world define you. Like in that commercial earlier, we don't need to let the world define us and who we are going to be. Let the God of the universe who created you define you. He created you and I, male and female, and he called us good. We are made in his image and likeness. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that we are a chosen priesthood, that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You and I are royalty. We are valued, cherished, and loved by God. That's good news. Don't be a subject to the world's kingdom, but be a subject of God's kingdom and let him define who you are. Live your life the way God lives towards you, generous and gracious. For more information on New Covenant, contact us at 3318 Fifth Avenue South, Fort Dodge, Iowa, 50501. Or you can call us at 515 955 6222.